Hello and welcome to Tucson Bitcoin Podcast. My name is Alex and uh, yeah, today's a really sad day because I think Bitcoin's dead. You know, it just keeps on dumping and dumping and dumping. Man, I'm thinking about ending my podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Guy Swan did a great episode uh, last week about Bitcoin being dead. I mean, this is just a thing that happens over and over again. I'm doing great. Bitcoiner's been reaching out to me, asking me if I'm okay. I mean, the the price fluctuations, it's just a normal um, happening in the space. Like, this just, this happens. It goes up and down. And, you know, when you get out of this short-term thinking of, like, I want to make a quick buck. I want to flip this coin into 50 grand in three months or whatever. You know, these these price fluctuations don't matter. This thing is about so much more than making dollars you know a lot of bitcoiners don't even want to make dollars they just want to hold on to get and accumulate as much bitcoin as they can because they see what bitcoin for what it is you know it's a global payments network that is going to revolutionize everything and take over the world and kill fiat currencies you know already is we're watching all of these established players let you know figure out that they can't stop bitcoin you know, and they're they're f- figuring out ways how can they control it. You know, which they can't, and they're trying to you know figure out how do they stay relevant in this world uh, where Bitcoin is, and it's crazy. It's like, um, it, it's crazy. It's only a, it was a trillion dollar market cap. You know, it's freaking people out. You know, and there's going to be a lot of fud. There's going to be a lot of hate. You know, and the more that you learn, the better. You know, that's. Well, anyways, my guest today is Russ Harbin, and we're discussing Bitcoin privacy. Uh, It's a really important topic. Privacy in general is something that I'm passionate about, and I think is important. The the cypherpunk movement was born out of this need for privacy with the internet, you know, which could either be a great liberator or a great surveillance tool. And that goes with any technology. It goes with the internet of things. It goes with... uh, you know, just your basic computer phone usage, and it goes with Bitcoin. So I hope you enjoy this episode. All righty, we're recording. Good to have you on, Russ. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, it's nice to be here. Thanks, Alex. So we we had a great conversation the other night at the uh, meetup in Phoenix that could have been a recorded podcast as well. Um, so I kind of see this as a continuation of that conversation. We went yeah. into the weeds on all sorts of things. But yeah. Um, so yeah, you're a big uh, advocate for Bitcoin privacy, uh, which you know is kind of a contentious topic in a uh, lot of different circles on whether you know you should use Monero or Bitcoin's not private, or um, you know you should coin join everything. There, there's a lot of different opinions on it. Um, so, so what's your kind of overall opinion on Bitcoin privacy? Well, I think privacy is pretty important just from a, you know, money perspective. I think that you have to have some sort of expectation of, of privacy in order to be able to feel like you can transact freely, uh, you know, whether that's with Bitcoin or really anything else, um, you know, and, and we have privacy from the standpoint uh you know, of, of fiat currency, meaning that like, you know, your, um, you know, your job can't necessarily tell what you're spending your paycheck on, 
but you know you have to trust your bank basically to know everything that that you're spending and so you know from that perspective um there's an aspect of privacy that's around um you know trusting someone to keep your transactions private and you know i think the majority of people these days trust their their bank to do that um you know from a bitcoin perspective though the way that that the system is structured you know the the thing that that uh that bitcoin is all about is is minimizing trust and so you know one of the trade-offs that you have to make with that is that is that all of the transactions are public you know they're published to the blockchain and and it's something that uh is open to everyone to inspect and view and that's how that's how bitcoin you know achieves sort of a trustless uh system is that everyone can verify it everyone can make sure that you know the transactions are following all the rules and that you know there aren't coins being minted out of thin air um at least you know ones that the protocol doesn't allow but um I think, you know, as part of that trade-off, uh, you know, you're you're potentially sacrificing allowing other people to see, you know, your transaction history and being able to link your transactions together. You know, if if say you know you go buy a pizza with uh, with some Bitcoin and then you turn around and you know go buy something on a darknet market and you know you're using um, the same wallet to do that and you're doing that in a way that allows those transactions to be logically linked together then you know the uh the person who you bought the pizza from will be able to to see okay you know you're you're purchasing something from a dark neck market or you're doing something else with your bitcoin or you know the other part of it is you know being able to go back and say okay well this person they paid from a utxo that's worth 10 bitcoin so you know, they're obviously rich and, hey, wait, I think I know where that guy lives. Um, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of different uh, aspects to privacy and, you know, why it's important with Bitcoin um, from, you know, from just a sheer sort of personal safety perspective to, um, you know, feeling like you can, you can make transactions uh, and not, not have the world sort of uh, be able to look at all of that and, and know exactly what you're doing. I think if, if you do um, have this feeling that people are watching you, you're, you're more likely to, to censor yourself. You're more likely to, to not do the types of things that, that you would otherwise do. And so, you know, I, I think that's against sort of the ethos of, of Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin is, is supposed to be about censorship resistance and um, the ability to transact regardless of, uh, of what someone tells you. So, you know, I think that's, that's an aspect where, you know, privacy is important. Uh, understanding, understanding the privacy aspects of Bitcoin is important and, uh, you know, being able to uh, use Bitcoin in a, a privacy enhanced way so that you're not revealing too much information or you're not, you know, putting yourself at risk. I, I think it's important for, for people to know how to do it and, 
and uh, you know understand uh, where they might be making mistakes and, and how to avoid those. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I think that's a great explanation. I, it's really interesting that you brought up like people's decisions are influenced by the idea of like somebody watching you. Um, and I, I've seen that a lot in content creation, just in general, where they make these examples of people. And it, I mean, I've seen it in myself, you know, it influences what I can and can't, or what I allow myself to say and don't say the topics that I discuss on the podcast, um, because I, you know, put it up on YouTube or, or wherever, um, that has, a. Uh, a likelihood of getting censored if I talk about certain subjects, um, even if there's nothing inherently wrong with it, but it makes me walk on eggshells. And then from that, from a you know financial standpoint in the fiat world where literally everybody is being watched um, to a large degree. And uh, I mean, it's just like, we've seen it happen over and over again. It, it, it also influenced like both of these things, the, the social media censorship and the financial censorship go together because so many people have been censored financially for um, the things that they say. Um, so, yeah, I think like for some people like diving into this, especially if they're new, their heads are going to be spinning, you know, with this idea of like privacy, they hear something like UTXO, um, they, uh, you know, might not understand everything that's going on. I, I think the important, it's important to understand the importance of privacy um, and, and to add that, to not put it on the back burner, you know, of topics to cover in Bitcoin. Um, but yeah, I mean, let's talk about like how somebody can identify you. So one of the things that you said is like, if you send a merchant um, a transaction or, or a peer a transaction, they can see how much Bitcoin is in your wallet address and then associate that with you. Um, what are what are some other ways that people can be identified? Well, you know, I think you could maybe break it down a couple of different ways. One would be, you know, someone that you're um, buying something from, um, you know, with Bitcoin, uh, they they can look at the, you know, the, the payment transaction on the blockchain and then you'll look at the history of the, the coin that you spent and, you know, make certain uh, inferences about, about, you know, what your wallet contents are. And so, um, you know, there's there's that aspect of of um, you know privacy from someone that you're you're spending money with. Um, there's also the aspect of privacy from you know from a, like a, a know your customer AML kind of perspective, where you know if you buy Bitcoin from say you know Coinbase, um, Coinbase as part of how they operate. You know they've they've basically been um, you know forced to monitor the actions of uh, of their customers, and so you know if you buy Bitcoin on Coinbase and then withdraw it to your wallet, and then you go and you know do something like purchase something on a a darknet market without uh, having some kind of obfuscation of uh, that that link between Coinbase and, and whatever you go purchase, uh, you know, Coinbase, they, they actively monitor that and, you know, they'll, they'll notice it most likely and you'll probably get your uh, account shut down because, um, 
you know, that's something that, uh, that they, they don't want and, and they, they feel like they have a, uh, a responsibility to uh, prevent their customers from, from doing that kind of activity. So, you know, there's, there's sort of, uh, the privacy that, that, you know, you would want to have with, uh, someone who is on the receiving end of a transaction, not being able to, to know a lot about you, but also, um, you know, the, the source of, of wherever you got your Bitcoin, uh, there's that, that sort of uh, forward privacy where you don't want, um, you know, the, the entity that you received Bitcoin to know what you then go do with it. Um, so, you know, those are, I, I would say, kind of just the two different categories that, that uh, you know, I would kind of lump things into from the standpoint that, uh, you know, you have to think of sort of both directions of, of the, um, the way that you're, you're doing these transactions. Um, so I, I think that, that's just one way of, I think, looking at it. Makes sense. Yeah. I think like a lot, you know, one of the things that is brought up is this idea of like, I'm not doing anything wrong. So there's no reason for me to stay private. And, uh, you know, it's a really silly, um, bad argument, I think, because if that were really the case, everybody would just live in glass houses, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I think that argument, uh, I would say it, it sort of falls apart from the standpoint that, you know, um, just because you have nothing to hide doesn't mean that um, that you want your entire life broadcast to the world, um, you know. And and it's yeah, you know, people people might not have things to hide uh, necessarily. They might not be doing things wrong, uh, you know, from their view, but. Um, you know, in some places, just just the the act of uh, of receiving Bitcoin or using Bitcoin is is against the law, and you know, I, I would like to think that uh, that you know our current country would never go down to the the path of of making it illegal to uh, to own or receive Bitcoin, but uh, from that standpoint, maybe five years from now. Uh, you know, if, if you haven't been using privacy uh, protecting techniques, uh, then, you know, maybe someone can, can identify the fact that, all right, you still, uh, you were on the receiving end of, uh, of a certain amount of Bitcoin and, you know, you could get a knock on, on the door to say, all right, you know, we, we, uh, we're going to require you to disclose how much you have, et cetera. Um, you know, I would hope that we wouldn't ever get to something like that happening, but, but I think um, it's, it's just worth thinking through some of those maybe um, less likely scenarios to think, okay, well, um, I, I don't think that is likely to happen, but if it does happen, you know, what, what sort of uh, ways or, or what sort of uh, techniques could I use to sort of mitigate um, you know, being able to uh, have someone, you know, come and have that kind of a conversation with you. Uh, and, you know, it, it's not going to ever be perfect because, because uh, just the way that, that Bitcoin is designed, um, you know, 
you can't really prove necessarily that uh, that you don't have control of of uh, of Bitcoin. But you know, you can I think structure uh, your transactions so that um, you know it's it makes it, it creates some uh, plausible deniability that uh, at some point in the future, if if there is someone scrutinizing things, that uh, you know it's not it's not a uh, you know, cut and dry situation where they can they can definitively point back to you know transactions that you did and then uh, be able to to show that uh, you know you you still control a certain amount or that um, that you you know did certain activity. So you know, I think um, I, I think it's just important to try to. Um, create that deniability, create a, a situation where, you know, it's not 100% certain in terms of, of the activity that you've done. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, especially like when we see the courts being used as a weapon and the politicization of law enforcement and all of this stuff, it, I mean, the, anything could be used as a weapon against you. I think like one of the biggest arguments for using Bitcoin to purchase things and to um, use privacy methods is the amount of data that we leak when we're interfacing with the merchants. So like, you know, we watched Ledger get hacked pretty recently where their database was put out all over the internet. So that's addresses, phone numbers, um, et cetera. Um, I don't think people really realize how much data they they leak when they go and they um, swipe a debit card or um, order something online from, say, Amazon or, in this case, Ledger, and how um, risky that is to a certain degree to do that. Um, mm -hmm. It's, I mean, this is the thing that drives me crazy about, and it's the biggest, and I think best and most sound argument against the KYC AML rules is it is stupid to put your driver's license photo, you know, with your address on it and your driver's license number and your social security number into these um, financial services that are likely to get targeted and get your identity stolen and never be able to recover that information. And yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that, um, with sort of the traditional sort of financial world, you know, again, it comes down to trusting these institutions that, that you're using with this information. And, um, you know, that's, I think something that, that um, people don't really think about. I mean, it's, it's sort of become normalized that uh, in order to, you know, to have a financial life, you know, you've got to, you've got to give up this information. You've got to um, basically put yourself out there and, and trust in these institutions that they're going to protect it. And I think, you know, we've seen again and again that, that that's not the case, that, uh, that, you know, databases get leaked. Uh, you know, I mean, you look at like um, the, I think it was Equifax a few years ago, mm -hmm. you know, leaked like two thirds of, of uh, you know, American adults, uh, you know, credit information. And I think, I think that 
you know, the, the fiat world, uh, the, the normal, you know, financial world, you just sort of accept that as well. You know, that's the cost of participating in, in this world. And it's, it's not really voluntary. It's, it's, you know, you've got to do that or else, you know, you're going to have to pay cash for everything and you're not going to be able to have a bank account and you're not going to be able to have a debit card. And, um, you know, I think people have just sort of accepted that, which is unfortunate because, you know, that, that mindset you know, becomes a lever that can be a source of, of control, you know, in the future. And right now it's not really the case, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, if, if you, um, if you do something that's, uh, you know, identified as money laundering using traditional financial tools, you know, you're going to get, uh, your, your bank account shut down, you're going to get uh, potentially arrested and thrown in jail. Um, and so, you know, from that standpoint, uh, I mean, you know, we've, we've accepted this definition of, of money laundering and of, um, you know, there being financial activity that's, that's improper, that's illegal. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's, it, it's tough to really um, argue that, like, we should allow uh, people to, to launder money, you know, launder drug money, or, um, you know, uh, to, to steal money and be able to, um, to use it for, for nefarious purposes. It's, it's tough to make that argument. You know, no one, I don't, I, I don't think anyone would say, you know, we should allow criminals to just operate freely. Um, but I, I don't think people think through sort of the implications of that is that um, the definition of what is criminal and what's um, illegal can be sort of arbitrarily changed. And, you know, what you might think right now, well, you know, that's, that's obviously a, an illegal act, you know, to, to launder drug money, um, and we should never allow that. Uh, but you know, if, if the government at some point says, well, um, you know, using a debit card to, you know, purchase a 3D printer, uh, you know, that's going to be considered illegal because, you know, uh, you could use a 3D printer to, to create firearms. Um, you know, there's, I, I think there could be, you know, these situations that develop and, and the more that we allow the you know, the government and, and financial institutions to make those kinds of decisions for us, um, you know, the, the more freedom, the more, um, you know, just self-determination that we give up. And we, you know, it, it's sort of like the frog boiling in water situation where you don't really notice it at first and you think, okay, well, I'm not doing any of that illegal activity, so it doesn't really concern me. Um, but I, I do think there's a possibility that it, it could um, get a, to a point where, you know, common things that, that you know, we would do, uh, you know, that a lot of people um, take part in, you know, those could, those could be frowned on or, or made illegal. And at that point, you know, we've, we've gotten ourselves to a system where, you know, um, we've, we've pretty much given up control over our financial lives to, 
you know, to these institutions and to the government. And it's, it's like, um, I, I don't think people, if asked a question that way directly to say, would you, would you be willing to, you know, let, uh, let the government and let the banking system decide, you know, what you can spend your money on? I think, you know, the vast majority of people would say, no, I would never agree to that. But I think, you know, we are sort of allowing ourselves to get there by becoming, um, you know, more and more willing to, uh, to give up certain pieces of, of financial freedom in order for, you know, for us to feel, you know, safer or more secure or, um, you know, to agree that, yeah, that, that particular behavior is, is improper. And, and so we're going to let, uh, let that be censored. So it's, um, you know, I, <laughs> it's kind of a long rambling uh, response, but, um, but I mean, I think that's, that's a risk that we have just in the world these days um, that uh, the more that, that we allow ourselves to, to give up these, these types of freedoms, um, I, I think that uh, it, it could, it could, we could find ourselves in a situation that we never really intended to be in. And so I think it's important to have, have alternative uh, tools and solutions available to be able to, to kind of counteract that tendency. Yeah, I think that's great. And uh, that's something that is talked about a lot as far as, um, you know, the, I mean, we just see the, this incremental creep in all areas of government and power. And uh, it's not about whether or not the person in power right now will abuse you know, what's at their disposal, but it, the fact that it's open to be abused um, is a serious issue down the line. And we've seen things like mass surveillance grow um, and just become a norm. And then, you know, this recent, like, I, I have my, you know, pretty strong opinions about the lockdowns as far as like we entered into totalitarianism, you know, for like over a year and counting now of, uh, people not really having a choice and just being okay with it. You know, we going from like, you have freedom and you can go where you please to now, like you cannot um, go to church, you know, and like meet with people in person and, you know, you're limited in all these different areas and you're forced to, you know, wear a mask everywhere you go. And, you know, it's this kind of just crazy jump. Um, you know, that's alarming. It's frightening, you know, because on its surface, like wearing a mask to me, doesn't feel like that big of a deal. It's not like this life or death um, thing. I think it's, you know, at this point, especially like when the, where the numbers are at, it's stupid, but, but just the, this creep of the government having all this power to dictate, you know, what you can and can't do is super problematic. Um, and then seeing that happen in just all of these other realms simultaneously, financially, um, I mean, there's like all these like, you know, wild uh, requirements of like it, they're, it, the most recent one. Like if you send a transaction over $10,000, it needs to be reported um, to the government. And I think that, um, you know, the problem with things like that is this treating normal people like criminals um, before or with suspicion before, you know, there is a, a good reason to and we live in a country that was built on this idea of rule of law and i think that's incredibly important um uh you know you're you're not guilty until proven so you know in this country mm -hmm. and uh 
yeah we're moving away from that for sure but yeah i i mean i'm totally like um you know when i first started i i started with coinbase and i um you know started with gemini and i was totally like okay with putting in all my financial information because i had with robin hood and i had with you know my bank and you know it seemed like the norm um but i'm starting to you know become alarmed by it and uh i'm almost hesitant to the point to encourage people to use kyc exchanges um period and i had this really interesting conversation with a friend when i was onboarding him a couple weeks ago um on the cash app and he's like what i have to put all this information to buy bitcoin like this is ridiculous so where where are some good places that um people can you know bypass all the crazy aml kyc stuff yeah i i think that um you know there's a few different options out there i i think uh you know, one of the, the best that, you know, we talked about at the meetup was um, just sort of peer to peer. Um, and, and you know, I think being able to have a network of, of folks that um, that have and use Bitcoin, um, you know, is, is a great resource for people, um, you know, having having kind of a peer to peer way of uh, of exchanging uh, Bitcoin and, and doing it, I, I would say in a, in a more private way, which, you know, you can, you can do. And I mean, when you think about it, if, if you've got a group of folks and, uh, and they're all buying Bitcoin from Coinbase, um, and then, you know, you're, you're trading amongst each other, that probably isn't, you know, the best privacy. I mean, you can, you can maybe have some, some deniability, uh, if, if you sell some Bitcoin to someone and then they go use it to do something that is illegal, um, you know, you're probably the person who's going to get the knock on your door first. Mm. So, you know, I think you do have to be a little bit careful with that and, and use some of the, uh, the privacy enhancing tools that are available um, to, to sort of do that in a way where you're not putting yourself or, or others at risk. Um, you know, if, if someone decides to go uh, do something that um, you know ends up being tracked on the blockchain, so you know again, I, I think uh, just peer-to-peer interactions, if, if done the right way, can be a great way, you know, for folks to uh, you know to get you know non-KYC Bitcoin, if you will. Um, you know, there's there's obviously sort of um, kind of decentralized exchanges like BISC uh, that. That I think can be great options, um, you know, depending on just how you how you use them and you know the types of uh, volume that you're you're looking to do. I mean, you know, you're you are going to pay a premium for uh, you know any time that you want to um, acquire coins, you know, outside of a a, a KYC exchange. Uh, but I, I think um, even if if you were to um, to you know, do like a mix, a mixer kind of a, of a solution with coins that you got on an exchange. You know, you're going to have to pay extra to to um, you know to mix your coins and that sort of thing. So, so you know, I think you just have to mentally um, know that uh, that you know you do have to have you have to pay a premium to have uh, privacy within Bitcoin uh, and. You know, I think that's that's fine. I think that you know you should be willing to um, 
you know, to pay a little bit extra to use Bitcoin in a more private and, and trustless way. Uh, but, you know, again, I think, uh, like I said, BISC is a, is a good option. Um, you know, I think there are, uh, you know, like ATMs that you can purchase from under a certain amount without having to, to go through, you know, kind of a KYC uh, threshold. Um, so, you know, there's, there's options that are out there that you can use um, to do that. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's worth looking into those um, just so that, you know, you're aware of, of, uh, of doing that and, and that you've got, um, you know, so at least some of your holdings that are, um, you know, from non-KYC sources. Um, I, I think another way that I, I just saw someone uh, post about today, uh, you know, mining is another good way. And I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that to, you know, kind of the average person, but, you know, you can, you can do mining in a way where, where you're receiving um, coins that you really don't have any, uh, any history to them. And so that can be another way if, if you're willing to go to that level of, um, you know, of, of doing, um, you know, doing mining and receiving coins that, that don't have, you know, a KYC, KYC history that's, that's specifically tied to them. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, mining is something that I'd really like to see uh, grow in Arizona. Uh, I mean, we've got cheap energy in some areas. Uh, we've got stranded energy in some areas. I mean, if we you go up north near the Hoover Dam, like it's mm -hmm. so inexpensive. Um, and then I, you know, I think there's going to be a major push in the next few years to really like uh, grow solar energy. And uh, you know, there's problems with uh, solar energy that I think mining could really uh, help support. And uh, um, that's something. I mean, it, what do you think, uh, or what do you know about the like current mining situation in Arizona? Is there anything going on? Um, you know, I'm not familiar. Um, whether there's any kind of large scale mining happening in Arizona. Um, you know, I, I assume that there's probably, you know, hobbyist kind of folks um, who, who engage in it, which, you know, I think is great, but um, it's, it's probably not a sort of scaled situation. Um, you know, I've always thought uh, um, when you look at uh, the Phoenix area, I mean, we get a lot of our power from uh, the Palo Verde uh, nuclear uh, generating station that's, that's kind of, you know, I think it's maybe 50 miles west of Phoenix. And I've always thought that, um, you know, nuclear, nuclear power is, is uh, you know, a potentially a, a great use um, or a great, a great place where, you know, mining could be done um, just because, you know, when you have peaks and uh, troughs in terms of the electricity demand, um, and, and I'm not an expert on, on nuclear power, but you know you kind of have to moderate that um, that that generation of electricity uh, that's that's coming from you know the the nuclear reaction, and so you know I think mining could be a great load uh, for you know a nuclear uh, power plant to be able to to use when um, you know, when the, the actual load from, uh, you know, like the, uh, the actual electricity users is low, uh, say like in the middle of the night kind of a thing. Um, 
you know, if, if a nuclear power plant had had a bank of um, Bitcoin miners that they could use, um, they could they could continue that same load uh, during those off peak hours and, you know, be able to contribute hash power and, and be, you know, making additional revenue and things like that. So, you know, it could it could reduce the cost of, uh, of nuclear, um, you know, because because you're getting this additional revenue that uh, you wouldn't be able to get, you know, from from an off peak time period. Um, so I, I think I don't know if anyone has ever, uh, you know, talked to uh, to the Palo Verde, uh, you know, uh, nuclear power plant here in Arizona, but I, I, I feel like um, that would be a, an opportunity, you know, just here locally that, um, you know, I know I don't know the, the specific percentage of, of power that uh, that we get out of that station, but uh, but that could be you know a source of um, of hash rate. And, and you, if you look at all of the different uh, uh, nuclear stations, you know in the U.S., I mean I, th I think that uh, um, that could be you know a, a, pot a potentially substantial uh, source of hash power that would be you know. Um, not really, I mean, there's there's a lot of arguments about, okay, Bitcoin mining is terrible for the environment, is creating all this um, CO2, you know, it's it's using, um, you know, energy sources that are, that are producing greenhouse gases. Um, but, you know, from a nuclear perspective, I, I think that that's one of these sort of greener energy sources that, um, that could be a way to provide hash power that's, um, you know, maybe a little bit immune or, or less uh, less able to be criticized for, you know, CO2 emissions. Um, so, you know, that would be one idea. <laughs> Again, I don't know if anyone ever, has ever thought about uh, approaching, um, you know, Palo Verde about that, but I, I think that could be interesting. Yeah, that'll probably come out of one of the meetups. We'll have to, <laughs> we'll have to get a plan and plan of attack to go present to them or something. I mean, the, the interesting thing about nuclear power is it's such a taboo subject. Like people just do not like to touch it, you know, for the most part. And people that do are, are tend to be heavily criticized, um, which is pretty interesting. But uh, I, I'm pro-nuclear, you know, personally. I think there's a lot of interesting developments going on in that area. And it makes a lot of sense um, to shift in a direction, you know, as I am not like trashing renewable energy is in the sense of like geothermal or, or solar or wind or you know whatever but um you kind of have to do something that's consistent you know reliable and uh nuclear seems to be the most um consistent and reliable for sure um but yeah, yeah it's definitely you know when you look at uh just like the situation that texas went through um a few months ago and and they had the big storm that came through and and you know, their wind and solar uh, power generation um, went offline because of, you know, it, there were freezing temperatures and, and the uh, weather conditions basically uh, made it so that all of that, that uh, power source went offline. You know, you could see basically that, um, you know, there, there's, it's not dependable and, and it's almost a liability uh, because, in order to, to be able to, to kind of make it through those periods where 
you know, you don't have that, um, that, that power source available, then you've got to build spare capacity, you know, with natural gas or, you know, uh, coal plants or, or any of these sort of, uh, you know, dirtier forms of, of energy. Um, so I think, you know, nuclear has an advantage from the standpoint that it's, it is very steady. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's something where you can have a very consistent load and not be worried about, um, you know, is, is, are all the, the wind turbines gonna freeze up or, you know, are we gonna have a, a big storm that knocks out the solar capacity? Um, you know, I think there's also just when you look at, at um, wind and solar specifically, um, you know, there's, there's it, it's great that, that they produce energy without, you know, having direct emissions at the point that the, the power is being, being generated. But I, I think you also have to factor in, um, you know, all of the, the energy that was produced to actually create the solar panels and create mm -hmm. the, the wind turbines. And, and, you know, a lot of that is, is being done, you know, with, uh, you know, like a lot of these solar panels are produced in China. Um, you know, we know that China has, it, it gets a lot of its, its uh, power capacity from, from coal. And so, you know, it's, it's sort of like, you know, you're not really um, producing clean energy. You're, you're just sort of moving back where the, uh, where the dirty energy, um, you know, came from. So, you know, yeah, solar and, and wind is great for um, producing energy in a, in a cleaner way at the point of, of generation. But I think you also have to look back and, and say, okay, well, what, what was the energy mix that was used to actually create, you know, this material? Um, and I, I think you also look at like uh, wind, wind turbines, you know, they have a very limited sort of lifespan. And, uh, and once they pass that lifespan, then you've got to dispose of these, these you know, giant blades. Um, and I think they're, they're generally made of like fiberglass or composite materials. And there's really no way to, to recycle that material. So, you know, I, I've seen, you know, pictures of uh, these, these uh, landfills where they're basically stacking um, row by row by row of, uh, of um, you know, wind, uh, wind turbine and, uh, and the blades from, uh, from these, uh, these wind turbines that, you know, they just have to bury. And um, I, I think that if you, if you looked at the energy used to produce the blades, if you looked at the energy that's needed to dispose of them, um, I, I'm sure there's probably been analysis in this, this that kind of a, a you know, route, but I, you know, I've got to think that, um, that the actual energy efficiency is much less than what, you know, you might think it is. Yeah. And they're just really annoying to drive by trucks on the highway that are carrying those giant blades and taking up like almost both lanes. It's like, that's the best argument against it right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, I, I think it makes people feel good about, you know, yeah, we've got this, this clean energy source, but, um, but I think people, people don't think through kind of all of the, the, you know, the energy that it took to get that, 
in place. Um, you know, and, and just to your point of like transporting these things requires a huge amount of energy. Um, and I don't think that that's necessarily factored into, you know, just the, you know, when, when you look at like incentives that are, that are being um, given for green energy sources, I don't think, you know, there are, those incentives are really taking into account all of the, the dirty energy that went to um, creating that, that, uh, you know, quote unquote, clean energy source. Mm. You know, it's, it's, um, it's like, you know, without those subsidies uh, being given to, to solar and wind, um, you know, you, you sort of question whether, whether that would actually be uh, an, an actual efficient use of, um, of energy and, and an efficient way of generating energy. So it's like, it's looking at just one small piece of, of the energy generation process but it's kind of leaving out all of this other um, part of it that, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's almost like we're subsidizing just, you know, the small, uh, you know, green piece of, uh, of, you know, solar or, or wind, but then we've got all of the dirty side of, of you know, creating that capacity that um, we're, we're also subsidizing unintentionally. Yep. Yeah, it's just a big facade, you know, and I think like one of the things that's that I find really intriguing about Bitcoin is is how much uh, work it takes to like really understand and you have to have a nuanced uh, hard look at it uh, to really get underneath and for people coming from this world where things are just kind of, you just take things at face value like this guy's good because of x you know or y and this guy's bad because of x or y um they you know people judge things based off of like really like silly arguments the energy debate you know over bitcoin is silly like video games take up way more energy um the call of duty servers running all the time you know and they provide like very little utility to society in the way that bitcoin does like i'm not like anti-video games or anything but um and Nick Carter's done so much good work on this, and yet this argument kind of persists, and we have all these stupid arguments about proof of stake coming around now as mm -hmm. being a solution for like awful companies like Cardano or IOHK. That you know, I, I heard recently that they're going to be putting all the citizens of uh, I think it's Ethiopia on on a blockchain um, and collecting all their data like that in a permanent immutable way which is kind of terrifying um and yeah. uh <laughs> it's like um but uh yeah i mean it, it is you know really really fascinating to me to you know dive down into the nuance of these arguments um and and really learn i mean one of the most frustrating things about bitcoin is like i've been reading about it almost on a daily basis for the past four years and i still feel like i just like barely have this grasp of of what we're doing and why this is so revolutionary and important. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I feel the same way. I think, uh, I think that if, if you approach it the right way, Bitcoin should be, you know, pretty humbling in, in making you think about um, just what you sort of taken for granted in mm -hmm. the world previously. And, you know, I think money is, is just sort of kind of the, 
the tip of that. I mean, money is is hugely important, obviously. Um, you know, but it it starts getting into you know even more sort of um, philosophical aspects of you know like how are we structuring society? Um, you know, what what kind of incentives are we are we building? You know, as part of our as part of our society, as a part of our our nation. Um, you know, what are the choices that we're making? You know, the trade-offs that we're making. What are the incentives that um, you know that we're sort of uh, unconsciously agreeing to? You know, like I said, when you go back to just how we've structured our financial system and and all of the the trust that has been built into that, and and um, you know, sort of the willingness of of people to um, you know to trust in in financial institutions and, and in, in their government to, to make good choices and do the right thing. And, and I think, you know, um, I don't think people are inherently bad. I don't think that, that government or financial institutions are, are inherently bad, but I think that um, over time, what happens is that uh, there's just um, sort of a, a lack of consciousness about decisions that are being made and, and incentives that are being put in place um, that end up, you know, getting us to a point where, you know, we, we have uh, less freedom, we have less, um, you know, less ability to, to be independent. And, um, you know, I, I think that that's unfortunate that, that, you know, we, as a society, we just sort of allow that to happen without really consciously thinking of it. And so, you know, I look at Bitcoin as, as a, a tool where yet, you know, it starts off being about money and technology, you know, um, and the blockchain and, and, you know, it's really cool how it just functions as a system. But then, you know, it kind of, for the people who really get into it, you know, it, it really makes you start questioning a lot more of, um, of how society functions, and you know, questioning whether whether we're making you know good decisions as as a country and as a society. So I, I think you know that's that's one thing that um, for me personally, I've i felt that uh, you know Bitcoin has sort of awoken um, just a thought process of of saying. You know, is this really the best thing that we should be doing, or, you know, is this is this how we should be structuring our society? Um, and that's, I think that's something that you know, regardless of where you're at on the political spectrum, you know, it's a good thing for people to be, you know, questioning, and and you know, trying to understand, you know, the decisions that they're that they that they're making unconsciously. Um, and, and trying to shed light on, you know, how how society is structured and how how all the incentives are structured in, in our, you know, in our economy. So, you know, I think that's that's an opportunity um, that that Bitcoin has. That uh, you know, it can it can really sort of change how we, you know, we look at the larger picture in general. Yeah, I think things like that are so important. Um... I, have you ever done any martial arts before? Um, you know, not not as like an ongoing sort of uh, practice, um, but 
I can see just, you know, the, the parallel with that. Yeah. I mean, it's like, I'm, uh, I haven't, I'm not a jujitsu guy. I was doing jujitsu for a while. I, I like boxing and kickboxing a lot more, but I mean, you just go to the gym and get your ass kicked, you know, like right off the bat, you know, you've got this white belt and, uh, it doesn't matter how big or small the other person is relative to you. Um, they can kick your ass, you know, and it just like I had this situation where, um, you know, I walked in, I thought I knew a little bit, I'd been, you know, rolling with my friends pretty consistently. And, uh, you know, there was this guy, I was, we were drilling and I was kicking his ass and then it opened up to, um, just like free roll. And he put me in like a triangle choke three times and I couldn't figure out how he did it. And he's like this little tiny guy. And I just felt like an idiot. Um, but I mean, I think like one of the things that we, we do as a human is kind of programmed into our brain where we try and like conserve as much energy, like mental energy as possible. And so we create these patterns and these ruts. And so like, I, I used to work in social work and, and this is something you see a lot, like people would have these, these baseline, um, uh, you know, affects or, or emotional reactions to things. So somebody that's anxious and runs anxious, they're going to default to anxiety, um, because it's kind of been programmed into them. Um, and, and like you're saying, I think it's so important, like for, for somebody to be successful, they have to learn how to not be anxious, you know, and, and change that perspective to be successful in jujitsu. You have to learn how to, uh, have humility and how to learn. And instead of like, just me like storming off and being like, that guy sucks. You know, he put me in three triangle chokes. I have to be like, Oh man, how did he do that? That was really cool. Um, you know, give respect. Um, and I think coming into the Bitcoin space, that's, that's the case, you know, like I, I do have a podcast, but I just love to listen to people to talk. There's so many like knowledgeable people out there that just know so much. And, uh, um, I, I think that's the case in general, you know, just for, for, you know, the world, you know, it's like, I mean, I think everybody thinks that they know everything and the second that they're put into a position to actually make decisions um it's kind of a terrifying uh reality um and and it, it puts you in a position that like you realize you don't know what you're doing you know to a certain extent or or you know if you're uh, prideful enough you'll um uh, or, or narcissistic enough you'll you'll be like gavin newsom and like be the um the di great dictator um but um uh, yeah, I mean, that's been my experience with Bitcoin over and over again of just like getting my ass kicked, you know, whether it's like learning, trying to learn how to run a node or, or get BTC pay server up and running or, um, you know, looking at, you know, how do I manage my wallet correctly? Um, you know, do very little basic things. Um, and it's such a great, great experience for me. Um, and yeah you know i think if you approach it the right way you know i think a lot of people they start off with um you know being attracted to bitcoin just for sort of um you know monetary reasons obviously when you watch the price do what it does you know people get attracted to that and and they want to understand you know what has created the situation um but I, I think you know you also tend to approach it i mean uh unless you, you got into Bitcoin in like, you know, 2010, 2011, you're, you're always going to have this sort of feeling that, oh gosh, I missed, I missed uh, the boat on this. 
you know, and um, so, you know, it, it, it sort of predisposes you to think that, well, um, maybe Bitcoin isn't really the, um, the, the solution for everything. Maybe, maybe there's something else out there that uh, is going to, you know, outperform Bitcoin in the long run. You know, I think a lot of people are, are used to the idea of, of you know, uh, like with MySpace and, and Facebook, uh, you know, MySpace came along first and it was sort of like this, this early social network. And then, you know, Facebook uh, came after that and, and ended up being, you know, a lot, uh, a lot better uh, and, you know, ended up sort of um, leaving MySpace behind. And um, so I think people are sort of predisposed to think, well, you know, Bitcoin was sort of the first one of, of these, uh, you know, digital currencies. And, and, you know, there's no way that it, it could be as good as something that would be developed now. And therefore, I should go try to figure out what's, what's going to be the Facebook to, you know, Bitcoin's MySpace. And I, I think that, uh, I mean, even I, when I first got into Bitcoin, had that idea of um, trying to figure out, all right, you know, what's, what's going to be the next Bitcoin or, or, you know, where, where is the, the better version of Bitcoin going to be coming from? And I think it, it takes some time to really um, sit down and, and kind of understand uh, just, you know, what does Bitcoin provide and, and what is it intended to do? Um, I think that that's not really obvious uh, to someone first getting into it. I think it's gotten a lot better over the years um, because there's a lot of, of great material out there, um, you know, that has been published and, and, you know, you can, you can get up to speed faster in Bitcoin now than you could say five years ago. Um, you know, but I think like five years ago, if you were getting into it, you know, your initial thought would be, okay, well, this is going to be, a new payment system it's going to take over for you know paypal and visa and we're going to be able to do you know all of these uh transactions you know very cheaply and um i think it's just natural that that people have that sort of initial reaction to it because they they view it as um competing with uh with payment systems as opposed to being kind of a new form of money and, and then, you know, when you start thinking about money, uh, I think that's where people, you know, they, they start realizing, okay, well, this is, this is not just really a payment system. This is, this is more sort of foundational. Um, but, you know, it takes some time to get there. And um, I, I think a lot of people just, they, they don't approach it with um, Sort of the the intellectual humility of of saying, well, I, I don't really understand this, but I'm I'm going to do my best to to take my take the time and, and really, um, you know, try to understand and trying to build a foundation of knowledge. Uh, I, I think you know people look at just you know sort of the financial uh, impact that it's had, and then the you know they look at the price and they look and, and say, oh, how can I how can I get in on that? Um, and, you know, I think inevitably that turns to, okay, well, I want to get in on something that's, that's early. I want to get on, get in on something that's, that's relatively cheap. And, you know, that way I can multiply my investment, um, you know, and, and so, you know, 
we talk about like unit bias with respect to you know altcoins. Um, so I, I think a lot of people get sort of lured away from Bitcoin, you know, just with that thought process. And it and it does take time, you know, to to maybe um, have to go through, uh, you know, seeing an altcoin crash or you know um, maybe losing money because you know you really didn't understand something, and then you know having to come back and, and say, okay, well. I realized that I was thinking about this the wrong way, and and now I can start to understand, you know, the the value proposition a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. Watching uh, the Ethereum Foundation dump their pre-mined coins. It's yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the interesting thing. Like Bitcoin has these four-year cycles, and and that's where it's different than Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu, you go in, you get your ass kicked um, right off the bat, but in a bull market. Um, might take a little bit of time for you to get your ass kicked <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you know that's that's definitely true uh i i think it's been interesting you know just within the last like a uh, couple of weeks this this latest drawdown um you know i i personally felt like um that uh you know it was definitely alt season and um, you could sort of feel in the marketplace just a feeling that, okay, you know, um, Bitcoin is just kind of, um, you know, stagnant and, you know, all these altcoins are taking off and, and doing fantastic. And I, I think that, uh, you know, that just seems like it's part of the, you know, the bull run cycle is that, um, you know, people, people get drawn in by the, the growth in the price of Bitcoin and then, you know, try to find other ways to, you know, to, to achieve that, that growth in price um, without really taking the time to understand why, you know, a lot of the altcoins are just uh, not, um, not good ways to invest your, your time and money. And so, you know, it seems like, my guess is that that we'll always have these kinds of uh, of pumps as as the you know the price uh, does what it does. I mean, you know, we end up uh, every cycle, you know, bringing in more new people, and so um, every group, every every cohort of of new adopters, um, they they tend to be bigger than the last group, and they tend to have to you know go through the same lessons as. Um, as previous groups. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, from that standpoint, it wouldn't surprise me to see this, this kind of continue, um, at least until the point where maybe we reach, uh, you know, the, the broader adoption, you know, hyper Bitcoinization kind of scenario, uh, where maybe at that point, it, it becomes less, less prevalent. But I, I think you're always going to have people who, who are trying to, um, you know, just make money without uh having to put in a lot of effort and um that's just i think human nature so mm. yeah. as long as as long as we have humans you know motivated by you know having these large windfalls of of uh of financial success i think i think that uh we'll have altcoins that uh that will pump and dump yeah yeah and i think like the, th the important thing to distinguish uh like a lot of people coming in, they they see people's uh, Bitcoin or 
Maxi's visceral response to uh, shit coins and um, think that they're just being intolerant, you know. And like you said, you were interested in the shit coins. I'm a recovering shit coiner. There, there's a reason why we have these um, beliefs and, and, and we've had to, done research on it. I, one of the things that blew my mind is I, I was on YouTube and I saw a Coinbase ad and they're still shilling uh, EOS, you know. Oh which is a freaking joke, you know, like that. I, I'm pretty sure all these new people, you know, have never even heard of EOS, you know, they're too focused on whatever other project, but like that was a big one when I came in in 2018, there was a lot of hype around it and it's done nothing, accomplished nothing. And, um, you know, what we're trying to do is, uh, you know, help, new people, you know, with these. And, and maybe there's like different tactics we can take. Um, I think Guy Swan's uh, Shitcoin Insider is one of the best uh, resources for learning about, you know, the altcoins and the problems because they, they, they have a nuanced conversation about it. They actually go into the, you know, fundamental problems. I, I'm not the best at that because I don't um, really want to get into the details too much of, of the different altcoins um, because I think it's like a, a waste of time for me personally. Um, uh, but, but yeah, it's, it's hard to recapture the network effect that Bitcoin has, you know, you've got people all over the globe that are actually using it. I mean, what's happening on in Bitcoin beach is not happening on any of the other projects anywhere else. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, that that is, I think, a huge argument for, you know, why there's not going to be another next Bitcoin uh, per se. But um, but yeah, it's we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, nothing certain, but I think except for um, the block subsidy, that's pretty certain. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do think, you know, I, just Bitcoin is really. I think it's it's focused on, you know, providing this uh, the censorship resistant sort of form of of, of digital value and, and exchange, and you know you look at at the trade offs that Bitcoin has made over the years. Um, you could argue that that those have been sort of um, they've been made, you know, and and haven't uh, necessarily been good things for the price you know you could you could make an mm -hmm. argument that that the decisions that uh, have been made in, in bitcoin in terms of the, the direction of development um you know maybe uh made it so that the price didn't pump as as quickly as it could have otherwise but i, I think that you know when you think about again the purpose of bitcoin which is is really having this independent form of money that that can resist any attempt to, you know, to subvert it or corrupt it or to change it, um, you know, I think that that that's where you start to see the value. And, you know, maybe it was not, you know, the the decision that would maximize the value in the short term, but I think that in the long term, um, you know, it's it's the strategy that will ultimately be most likely to succeed. You know, when you think about, um, you know, what may happen in the future and, and the fact that um, it seems like our, our society is only moving towards more and more 
control and centralization and um, you know being able to uh, to dictate how people should live their lives. So so I, I think that um, you know from that perspective, yeah, you know Bitcoin uh, it, it's maybe not the um, the rocket ride to the top that we would want it to be uh, just you know, in a in a matter of a few years, but I, I think that uh, ultimately it's 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 the strategy that will probably prove to be, you know, successful in the long run because that's that's really just the value proposition of of any of these uh, these decentralized currencies is is being able to resist control, being able to resist uh, you know corruption like like you know fiat currencies have had over the last you know, since, since as long as they've existed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you really get into the weeds of what's happening with Bitcoin development, everything with lightning, it is just mind blowing. Like, it's so great. Um, so yeah, I'll start wrapping up. Um, going to classic crust tonight, Bitcoin business. Yeah. It's a Bitcoin piece today. So I think we're going to try to to make it over to classic crust um you know i was looking back um I, I saw some pictures that i took you know like uh five years ago from bitcoin pizza day there and uh you know it was I, I was looking at the pictures and the you know like the restaurant was empty uh so it'll be interesting to see uh this year you know how many people are there and um you know just how much uh how much that that may have changed but um but yeah you know I, I think it's just another bitcoin holiday it's a great uh, reason to celebrate um and you know to be appreciative of, of what we have in the form of bitcoin yeah yeah i think there's going to be a lot of people there uh today uh because I, i've been watching the meetup um yeah the arizona bitcoin meetup i think that's what it's called um mm -hmm. They had a bunch of attendees there, so it might be pretty jam packed. Um, yeah, I, I it could be. We might uh, might have to, you know, um, try and make some room. But um, I, I hope that there's a lot of people there, and that uh, you know, it's a good event, good good chance to meet up with Bitcoiners. Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be a pilgrimage, I think, coming yep. going forward. Kind of. Yep. Yeah. Um, so where's some good people or places people can follow you? Um, I'm pretty much just on Twitter. So uh, it's Russ Harbin uh, on Twitter. And yeah, I would say that's that's where uh, where I am for the most part. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on. This is a really fun conversation. Yeah, I had a great time. Thanks, Alex. That was a great conversation with Russ, and I'll definitely have him on the podcast again. Uh, but yeah, I mean, diving into privacy. Privacy is so, so important, and it's something that, you know, we have just kind of let go for a while. There's been some people out there that have been hardcore, but I think people are waking up to the issues that we have with services like Google and uh, um, Amazon Web Services and uh, across the board. It's not just about privacy. It's about censorship. And we need tools that prevent that, that, that really empower the individual. We've seen the individual just get wrecked over the past year and a half. And uh, 
time to take the power back, and it's time to prevent stuff like that from ever happening again. And Bitcoin makes that possible. I'm so excited about Bitcoin Energy in Arizona right now. Our meetups are popping, both Tucson and Phoenix. There's just so much cool energy about wanting to change the way that we do money. Stephen did a great presentation last week at the Arizona Bitcoin Network up in Phoenix doing the Bitcoin 101. Uh, hopefully have that posted in the next couple of weeks to the Arizona Bitcoin Network YouTube channel. And yeah, I mean, if you really want to be a part of something cool, get to the Bitcoin meetups. That's ground zero for, you know, really building this network out in Arizona, teaching people about Bitcoin, getting, uh, you know, the wider adoption that, you know, we really need to change things. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed this. I did. And have a good one.